Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church podcast, where we share weekly sermons from our church services. We're so glad you've decided to join us today. We are a multi-generational family church located in the heart of Little Rock. Calvary's mission is to glorify God by making disciples who make disciples. Whether you've long been part of our church family or are tuning in for the first time, we hope our podcast provides the same kind of welcoming space you'd find here on Sunday mornings. Most of all, we hope this space helps you engage God's Word and grow in your faith. Well, in 2002, Brett Favre, who was the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, was leading his team in a playoff game. And he ended up throwing not one interception, not two interceptions, not three interceptions, not four, not five, but six interceptions. And uh, if you are not a football fan, that is a terrible, horrible, very bad day for an NFL quarterback or really a quarterback at any level. After the game, the reporters asked Brett just to share a few comments on his performance. And he said, I'm just really glad the other team didn't give us the ball back two more times or I'd have thrown eight interceptions. So the truth is sometimes great athletes, great people, good people can have very bad days. But Brett Favre, if you know the history, if you know his career, went on to win three most valuable player awards in the NFL. That's the most prestigious award for an NFL athlete. He was named to the Pro Bowl 11 times. That's the equivalent of an all-star team in the NFL. And he won a Super Bowl and in 2016 was inducted into the National Football League Hall of Fame. So the point is, Brett Favre didn't allow that bad day or those other bad days that he had to define him. And he had a whole lot of very good days that ultimately defined his career. What was true for him was also true for the Israelites living in the time of Moses during the Exodus. You might remember fairly recently we looked at Exodus chapter 32. And in Exodus chapter 32, the Israelites had a terrible, horrible, very bad day or set of days because it was in Exodus chapter 32 when Moses had gone up on the mountain another time to meet with God, to receive specific instructions from God. And he stayed gone longer than they were expecting. And they got worried, thought something had happened to him. And then they began to pressure his brother Aaron, who was in charge down at the base of the mountain to make them an idol. And mind you, this is just really right after the Israelites have made a covenant promise with God. On two different occasions, we're told that they said, we will do everything you have commanded us to do, especially as it relates to following the 10 commandments. And so right off the bat, they break their promise. They break the covenant by worshiping another God and having this golden image, this golden calf. It's what they pressured Aaron to make. And then with that, after they offered sacrifices to the golden calf, they had a very wild and immoral, sexually immoral party. 
the after party, if you will, it was a very bad day for the Israelites. But thankfully, after God dealt with them, after Moses destroyed the idol, after God led them to repent, the people to repent and judge those pretty severely who didn't, Moses goes back on top of the mountain and together God and Moses reconcile the people to God. God forgives the people and reaffirms the covenant. And he comes back down the mountain and he's giving instructions to the people now or about to give instructions about the tabernacle. God wants to live among the people. God wants to physically be present with his people. And so what happens is we're going to read about a very good day or set of days that the Israelites have. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 35, we're going to read several excerpts here of this really, really good day that the Israelites had. Starting with Exodus 35, verse 4, it says, Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastpiece. And all who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. So God's command to the Israelites is for those who are willing those who want to participate, they're to bring the Lord an offering. And the offering is to be something uh, very valuable. These are the items that God had given Moses to tell the people, this is what they are to bring. And they're going to make this tabernacle, this tent of meeting out of these items. And the items were very, very valuable. Look what we read about. It says you're to bring gold, silver, and bronze. Extremely valuable items. Bring the finest of linen that you have. Bring skins of animals. Animals were a very important part of their economy and of their wealth. Bring these animal skins. Acacia wood. That was a, a rare desert wood. Would have been very, very valuable. Bring your wood. Bring olive oil and these uh, rare fragrant incenses that are gonna be part of the tabernacle and the worship that's gonna come through that tabernacle. And then bring all kinds of precious gemstones, valuable things that'll be part of this breast piece that, Aaron, the high priest, was going to wear. And then he says in verse 10, all who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. Meaning also, don't just bring your financial items and your material items of wealth. 
but also bring your time and your talent. We call this stewardship as the people of God. And stewardship involves all of those things. It involves our finances, it involves all of our material possessions, and it involves our time and our talent. And stewardship is that we are entrusted with using all of those things for God's kingdom work, for God's glory, and for him. And so I love the fact that this is an act of worship that we're seeing here. If we continue reading, we pick up down in verse 20, it says, then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, that's another name for the tabernacle, and for all of its service and for the sacred garments. These were the garments, again, that the priest would wear. And so they, all who chose, who were willing, brought these items to the Lord. And I love this phrase, it says, everyone whose heart moved them came. This is a heart issue. And we'll talk about that a little more in a moment. And then it says in verse 29, it says, all the Israelite men and women who were willing, again, free will, free choice, you could choose to give or not, all who were willing brought these things to the Lord, free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. Well, how did they do? Well, we get a kind of a report card on their giving in the next chapter. Exodus chapter 36. Let's pick up with verses six and seven. It says, then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Now we know from this passage that Moses was not a Baptist preacher. You'll never catch a Baptist preacher telling his congregation to stop giving. He must have been a Presbyterian or I don't know, maybe an Anglican, but he wasn't a Baptist. Isn't this extraordinary? The people were so enthusiastic. Those who chose to give, and it must have been a lot of them, were so enthusiastic in their giving that they gave so generously, and it implies sacrificially, that there was this overabundance of, of items brought as an act of worship to the Lord. This was indeed a very good day for God's people, the Israelites. A very good day indeed. And this is the progress report we get, the report card, if you will. Well, what about us? You know, that was, uh, this is then and, and, but what about us? This is now. That was then, this is now. This was them, how about us? Let's think about us today a little bit. What do we do with this? Well, first of all, let me give you just a little bit of a progress report that uh, I have on financial giving for Calvary. And uh, first thing I need to say here is that 
we at Calvary keep your giving very private. And it's very confidential. I don't know what you give and you don't know what I give. It's between you and the Lord first and foremost. There's only one person in the church that knows who gives what, and that's our financial administrator. And part of her job is confidentiality. So we're not talking about individuals or individual families or giving patterns. We're talking in general here, just statistically. And I've asked some of our financial leaders to help us gather some information. Well, some of the things that we know here is that there are 350 people that we've estimated that are of adult age that actively attend Calvary regularly attend Calvary. And so I've asked our leaders to tell us how many of those people give. You know, if you church talk to church financial gurus, people that do a lot of research, Barner Research and Christianity Today and many other organizations, they're telling us that um, sadly, a lot of active attenders in churches don't give at all. They choose not to give, just like some of the Israelites chose not to give. So I asked, well, how about Calvary? And we found out that of the 350 active attenders who are of adult age, 290 give. That's really good. Way above average. That's 83% of our attenders actually give and invest in the kingdom of God through our church. I think that's way above average. And so we can celebrate that. Another thing that we looked at, and one of the statistics you read about, you've probably all heard in any organization, the saying goes that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And that is also applied to financial giving. 20% of the people give 80% of the finances. Well, how about Calvary here? Well, if we look at our numbers, we find out that of 67 of those 350 people uh, gave 80% of the total giving. And that means that 37% of our givers are carrying 80%. Again, way above what we think is average. So we can celebrate that as well. But what do you think average is? You know, lots of times when we think about financial giving, preachers and theological teachers will use a tithe kind of as a baseline. What's a tithe? A tithe is 10% of your income. And so, that's often kind of the, the, the starting point, the place we want our people to get to. The Old Testament talks about the tithe. Well, we're told by our financial researchers that Christians today, the average giving is 2.5%, way below kind of the 10% baseline. And that's actually... Sadly, even below Christians living in the Depression era, they gave 3.3%. And so giving 
has kind of historically been declining among Christians through the years. And so we asked some questions here. You know, I guess the question for us to say is, do we want to be just slightly above average or way above average, or do we really want to do what God wants us to do? One thing I think that's helpful for our numbers too here as we look at some of the statistics is that the group that gave the most money in our church is in the age group from 60 to 79. And they gave 59% of our budget, of our total income stream, 59%. That's a lot. But that's also by far the most uh, people in the church. We have three times more people in that category than in any of the other giving categories. What does that say to us? I think one of the things it says to us is that we are like a lot of churches and we are aging. And uh, we also, we need to know, we need to keep getting more people that are younger. And we, we need to be aggressive in growing our church but we also need to be very aggressive in teaching healthy biblical stewardship principles. Those who are coming behind this generation or these generations are soon gonna be taking up the financial torch for the church. And if we don't do well here, within a decade, our church is gonna face a financial crisis as will most churches like us. And so we need to be faithful. One of the things I would encourage too is we see this is the older generations that are carrying the torch for us right now, the mantle of giving primarily. We need to take advantage of that. One of our values is intergenerational discipleship, cross-pollinating generationally, if you will, connecting together. If you are a young family or somebody or a young person, I'd say if you're in your 20s or your 30s, or even 40s, what I would encourage you to do is find one of our older church couples or church members that you uh, really admire, somebody that you would consider inspirational in their spiritual life and commitments. And uh, ask them if they'll go to lunch or dinner with you. And as you do that, just pick their brain. Ask them about life. Ask them about uh, their values in ministry and, and advice and include financial giving in that conversation. And I think you'll learn a lot. And I also think they're gonna buy your lunch or your dinner for you. <laughs> so take them up, take us up on this offer. We have some wonderfully inspirational people who are doing a fantastic job, who've understood this principle of generous, enthusiastic, sacrificial, abundant giving, learn from them, glean from them, and be inspired by them, and then follow in their footsteps. It's really something that we all should do. Well, what are some principles for us today? There's really three that I'd like for us to just kind of think about, particularly in the idea of financial stewardship. The first principle is that giving an offering is an important act of worship. We often think of financial giving as an, as an act of obedience. 
But more than that is an act of worship. That's what it is. And so we need to understand that. When we often, we think of worship often as events. Coming here weekly, we have a worship service, what we're doing today. And it's absolutely a critical part of worship and part of the rhythm and routine of healthy Christians to come and be part of a service. Here we worship by singing praises to the Lord. And thank God we have wonderful musicians and leaders worship leaders to help us with that. We say prayers together. A very important part of our worship is coming to pray together and sharing prayer requests. And if you wrote down your prayer requests, you can drop those in the offering boxes as you leave. And those will be prayed over by the church staff and by the prayer team. And then they go on the wall, as Jordan said, for you to come and take those prayers off the wall and take them home. And every day that week, pray for that request. We are a praying church. This is part of how we live that out. Prayer is a critical part of our worship, our regular worship. Listening to the word of God through sermons, participating in Bible studies, a critical part of worship. But one thing we often don't think of as worship is the the offering. And perhaps even in this service, we don't emphasize it enough because the offering is really, it's in those boxes. We don't pass the plate here. They're in the boxes. And sometimes we don't draw attention to our regular rhythm that that's part of worship. We do need to understand worship is more than just a service. It's a lifestyle. It's an event. Many of us give online. And I like that because for me, I can be more consistent. I can schedule it. I want it to be a priority. And so now it's a priority because it's gonna come out at a certain time that I've asked it to, I've set that. And so, but when I come to church, I need to be reminded that that is a vital part of my Christian faith and faithfulness to the Lord. My giving is an act of worship as is yours. It's something we get to do. It's not something we have to do. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. A second point here is that giving an offering, a financial offering should be done freely from a willing heart. You and I need to understand that God does not need our money. Think about that for just a moment. Does God need your money? Absolutely not. It's it's meaningless to him. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't want our money. What he wants is our hearts. And we see that from the text in Exodus. As each person was moved in their heart to give, they gave. And those who were not moved didn't give. It's a heart issue. Listen to what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures in earth. This is Matthew 6, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then listen to this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God doesn't want our money. He wants our hearts. And he knows if he doesn't have our money, he doesn't have our hearts. That's why this is a big deal. 
And as your shepherd, as one of your pastors here, it's a big deal that we are faithful on a hard issue. And part of that is to be absolutely committed to investing in the kingdom of God through our church. And if you don't think your church is a good investment, you need to find another church. And I'm serious. We need to invest in the kingdom of God through the church and do it enthusiastically, do it generously, do it sacrificially, and do it abundantly. A healthy heart makes for a healthy church. And really, if churches got healthy in this area, we really would be like Moses was in Exodus 36. We really would say, oh, come on, guys, please, you're giving too much. We, we can't spend it all. Give it to somebody else. It's a hard issue. And therefore, it is a very important spiritual issue. And a third thing here is when determining how much to give, we need to keep in mind the full counsel of God. And by the way, you've probably heard this before, or some of you have. We know that the scriptures talk a lot more about money than they do virtually any other topic. Even heaven and hell combined is less conversation than money. So money is a huge issue, spiritual issue, because God knows it's something that'll grab our hearts. So when we determine how much to give, we need to keep in mind the full counsel of God. And there is a lot of counsel in the Bible about giving and about money and about stewardship. Here's just a few passages that I think are critical. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verses six through eight. And uh, verse 11, it says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided to give in your heart, again, in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And then verse 11 you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God loves generous givers. And God loves to bless generous givers. And generous givers do not give as a have to. They give as a get to. And they don't give under compulsion it's not reluctant giving. It's not motivated by obligation or guilt. And the blessings that come from it are immense, absolutely immense. Look at another passage. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as the firm foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. 
Now, some of you who might be listening to this say, well, this is not really applying to me because I'm not rich. I'm not wealthy. And I would say, well, not so fast, my friend, not so fast. If you look at your lifestyle and your standard of living and compare it to most people in the world, you are enormously wealthy. Almost all of us here would be in this category. And he says, don't be arrogant or put your hope in wealth. Our hope is in God. He is our provider. He is the one who provides our security. And so we're to be rich in good deeds, but we're also to be generous with what God has given us and willing to share with others. And then we're laying up treasures in heaven. God wants us to be kingdom of heaven investors. Lay up your treasures in heaven, not on this earth. And guess what he'll do? He'll bless the socks off you is really what that's saying. It's my, my version. He's gonna bless you. And this is not the prosperity gospel. The blessing is in the joy and the purpose that you have with giving. But it also is, it's, it's, it's celebrating what is, is the kingdom. And there is a kingdom reward for faithful believers on earth. And you'll experience the life that is truly life. If you talk to some of our people who are faithful in their financial stewardship, you're gonna see a joy in their lives, not just in their giving, but in life and their passion for God and for the kingdom in ministry. You will be absolutely inspired. Why? Because they're experiencing the life that is truly life, the abundant life. Not just the eternal life, but the abundant life. And one of the, the key things I've noticed as a pastor is that people who are faithful in their giving are joyful and they're very mature believers in most cases. You don't want to miss out on it. I want to just close with um, a recommendation. Every time I talk about stewardship, especially financial stewardship, I always go back and revisit a little book that I read years ago. And here it is. It's called The Treasure Principle. It's by Randy Alcorn. It's a very small book, five and a half inches tall and uh, about four inches wide. And it's uh, really just a little bit over 100 pages, very quick read. And I just think it's so inspirational as he unpacks scriptural truths and principles. Here's the treasure principle. I'll just share it with you. It says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And by the way, God pays really well in those who invest in the kingdom. Jesus himself said, by the way, in Matthew 19, 29, he says, anybody who's made any sacrifice on earth is gonna be repaid over a hundred times in heaven. That's a pretty good return on any investment. You can send it on ahead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Here's some keys that unlock the treasure principle. God owns everything. I'm his money manager. We are all managers of the assets God has entrusted to us, not given to us. Second thing, my heart always goes where I put God's money. Watch what happens when you reallocate your money from temporal things to eternal things. A third key, heaven, not earth, is my home. We're citizens of a better country, a heavenly one. A fourth key, I should live not for the dot, but for the line. 
From the dot, which represents our present life on earth, extends a line that goes on forever, which is eternity in heaven. Live for eternity. Giving, a fifth principle, giving is the only antidote to materialism. Giving is the joyful surrender to a greater person and a greater agenda. It dethrones me me and exalts him. And then finally, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. God gives us more money than we need so that we can give generously. Beautiful, beautiful principles, very well written, very inspirational. I encourage you not only to read the treasure principle, but to live it. If we live it, we're gonna experience a whole lot of really good days here at Calvary. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. If you don't already have a church home, we invite you to join us in person each Sunday morning. Our contemporary worship service is at 9 a.m. and our traditional service is at 11.15. For more information, be sure to check out our website, cbclr.org.